again, thank you for the invitation to come and be with you on these nights. And nowadays, if you decide to do a revival meeting, uh, you're kind of bold, you're kind of brave. Uh, you, you don't see that a lot. I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, years where we had two revivals, one in the spring, one in the fall. Uh, I had a, my, one of my first churches, I'd have one every quarter. Oh, we just uh, get after it all the time, but it's a different time. But thank you for uh, your faithfulness and your willingness to be here and uh, think about things. Now, m most of you look like uh, you've been around like I have for quite a while, so I really can't tell you a whole lot new, but I can remind you of some stuff, okay? And uh, take your Bible, if you would, today and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to read a passage there in just a moment. You know, one of the things in the New Testament when you look at the life of Jesus is Jesus was always loving and caring and giving people a break. But there was one group of guys that he nor John the Baptist gave a break to, and that was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had gotten their religion, and it was religion. It was all informational, and it was all going through the motion, but it wasn't relational. Now, hear the difference. It was informational, but it wasn't relational. And uh, Baptists, we can do the same thing if we're not careful. Well, we'll get to where it's all about getting the information, and uh, the information maybe, not, maybe or maybe not impacts us, but the Word, God's designed the Word for us to get into the Word, and then the Word to get into us, and that connection point that we have with God through the Word we create a relationship with him uh, through that. But when we deal with God, who are we dealing with? Now, when you look in the scripture, you discover uh, a, a very foundational doctrine. You have to be very careful with it. Many people don't understand it uh, at all. And nobody understands it completely. And that's the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Most people become what we call modalist. It's like uh, God wears three different hats. He's the Father one minute, and then he switches that off, puts the Son hat on, then he takes that off, then he's the Holy Spirit. That's not right. The Scripture makes it clear to us that God is three persons but one God. Uh, the Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, but he's God. The Son is not the Father, and he's not the Holy Spirit, but he's God. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, and he's not the Son, but he's God. They're all three God, but we don't have three gods. We have one God in three persons. Now, step back. It's Arkansas. It's all right. It's all right. Step back. That doesn't make logical sense. And you're right. It doesn't. Based on what we understand and what we know, how we see things. Think of God like this. Think of God like this. Think of my fist right here uh, as all of God's creation. All of the planets, all the solar system, all the galaxies. Here is God's creation. Where's God? Is he in the creation like the pantheist says? Is he in the trees and in the flowers and all that? No. God is transcendent. He's apart and above from his creation. But he has willed that he would relate to his creation and to his created beings. And he is so far beyond us. 
We cannot wrap our head around us. When you look in your Bible, it doesn't tell you everything there is to know, but it tells us everything you need to know to be able to have a relationship with God. Now, when you do business with God in your life, you're doing business with the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, it tells us that uh, we are all baptized, immersed. It's speaking of spiritual immersion, not water. We are all baptized into one body by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he indwells in us. Now, I want you to look at this passage real quick, and it's going to be foundational for some of the things that we're going to talk about. Start reading with me in verse 19, it's right near the end of chapter 6. Look at this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now, a lot of people think that you know that you have the Holy Spirit in your life because you feel it. And some people believe you know you have the Holy Spirit in your life because you're having some sort of an emotional uh, connection. Now, I'm not telling you that doing business with God has no emotion in it, but what the Scripture's saying here is these, these Corinthians had to be reminded that because they knew Christ, they had the Holy Spirit in them. Uh, you just don't feel the Holy Spirit wiggling around inside of you all the time. It's not that kind of awareness of His presence. The, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit is because God told you He does indwell you by and in the presence, his presence, in you by the Holy Spirit. And so don't, don't be afraid to even talk to the Holy Spirit in prayer. Don't be afraid to be aware that the Holy Spirit is in your life. That is not uh, some sort of a heresy or something. The Holy Spirit in your life is a reality if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, some folks say uh, getting the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace. I totally disagree with that because I don't believe the Scripture teaches that at all. Uh, I believe that you have the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not be filled with the Holy Spirit because just like we talked about last night, being filled with the Holy Spirit has to do with the Holy Spirit taking up and us surrendering all these areas of our life to Him by confessing our sins, getting right with Him, and surrendering our life to Him. And we need to do that. Uh, we, we, we don't stay full of the Holy Spirit all the time. We sometimes find ourselves out of God's will or find ourselves with the wrong thought or attitude or action or involvement. And so we need God's forgiveness, and then we need to surrender those areas of our life back again. Uh, I, probably a lot of you in this room right now, good Baptist, members of First Baptist Church Lowell, it's been a long time since you've sat down alone with God and confessed your sin to him. <laughs> it's not good enough. Father, thank you for the food. Forgive us of our sins. Let's eat. It's chicken. That's not good enough. Spending some time with God. Over the years, I've made it a habit to get out a, a, a pad, a paper, and talk to the Lord, read some scripture, and start thinking about my relationships and decisions I've made and thoughts I've had and actions I've taken and decisions I've made that I know that aren't God's will or aren't pleasing to God or aren't glorifying to Him or disobedient to Him. 
and write those things down and confess those things to God. And, and then write at the end of that, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great promise? Man, that's, a, that's my first aid kit right there, 1 John 1, 9. And then seek to surrender and say, Lord, fill my life. I want to be obedient to you. I want to surrender to you. I, I want to honor you, and, uh, and I surrender. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so we need that filling of the Holy Spirit. If we're not careful, we can become a Pharisee. It can become informational and not relational. And we want to make sure that we get past that in our lives as Christians and as believers uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you another scripture. And I want, it's just a short scripture, but I want you to turn there because we're going to kind of pivot off that passage in 1 Corinthians 6. And I want you to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Very short verse. Very short text. But I want you to think about it with me for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, one verse. It's verse 19. And it says this. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Over in Ephesians, it tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So those passages are telling me that I can quench or I can grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, wait a minute. What are we doing here tonight? We're talking about revival, right? We're talking about stirring up our hearts and our lives to be His and follow Him. And uh, we're talking about our relationship with God. We're talking about the very base level of our relationship with God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. And so we're talking about that. And we're talking about revival. We certainly have to ask ourselves some questions then about what is my relationship with the Holy Spirit like right now? And if that is quenched, or if we have grieved him, it's something that we've got to stop and consider as followers of Christ. This is an admonition for believers. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. You think you've ever done that? Yep, you have. It points to the fact that it's absolutely necessary for the Holy Spirit to work in our life, that he has the freedom of movement in our life through our surrender to him. Now, what does it mean like quench? Uh, if, uh, I, you can just imagine for a moment, uh, you're out camping somewhere and you've built a campfire. When I was a boy, a bunch of our buddies, we, we would go out on uh, Friday night and uh, camp out in the woods and pitch dark and take a couple of dogs with us. And we'd take some uh, hot dogs and stuff like that and marshmallows. And we'd build a fire out there in the woods somewhere and drag a bunch of stuff in and we'd pile it up. And then we'd sleep in sleeping bags on the ground, and the next morning, some of those coals may still be there. So we'd kick dirt or whatever we had and make sure that we quenched, put out that fire. Because uh, we, we even knew about Smokey Bear back in those days, so we took care of the fire. Well, the, the idea is, is that the Holy Spirit wants to be like a, a, a powerful force, a, a, a flame in our hearts and our lives. And if we're not careful about 
what we're doing with our lives as a believer, as a Christian, in our relationship with God, the Scripture's saying that we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. Some of you sitting here tonight, no doubt, have quenched the Holy Spirit in your life, maybe because of some relationships that you have, maybe because of some decisions that you've been making in your life, and it's not a good thing that that's happened. And I want you to just stop there for just a moment and ponder what your relationship with God is through the Holy Spirit that's indwelling your life and your body and your being right now. The doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a primary truth in Scripture. I'm not telling you something that's far out or crazy or unusual, and I'm not trying to make up some new novel thing for you to think about. We're talking about the Spirit of God in your life. It's not about emotions. It's not about hopping pews and waving hankies. It's not about that kind of excitement. It's about the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us so that Jesus Christ lives through us every day by the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives. Now, let, let me give you a, a few things. I'm going to give you a little list of things. It's not a complete list, but let, let me give you some key expressions of how the Holy Spirit works in your life and then how you might quench the Holy Spirit working in your life, okay? Let's just talk about some ways that the Holy Spirit expresses himself in your Christian walk and how you might be damaging that. Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit definitely works in us to convict us of sin and burden us about our sin. Uh, the Bible says, and Jesus said it in the 16th chapter of John, that the Holy Spirit has come to, the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, and the Holy Spirit certainly does that. Now listen, let's say that the Holy Spirit starts convicting you of something in your life, and uh, you know what? Whenever God's Spirit convicts me, you know what it is? It's uncomfortable. It's, I'm not comfortable. It makes me wiggle. When he's, when he, it's sort of like him getting you red-handed, and he's got you, and the Holy Spirit's convicting you, and you're feeling that burden. But on the other side, think this. Isn't it a wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit still works in your life? Isn't it a wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit still deals with you? Isn't it a wonderful thing? And, and stop and think about this. What if it's been a long time since you've experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life? What does that mean? You have quenched him good. You have snuffed him out. You have closed the channels for him to work in your life. You don't want to be there. When you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's uncomfortable, but it's a great blessing. God is working on me. Man, that's great. Think of that. And it's a primary way that the Holy Spirit deals in our life. It, it, to tell you the truth, it's the initial way the Holy Spirit deals in your life. Uh, I remember when I was a boy, I was, uh, I was going to, uh, my family went to Broadway Baptist Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And I, I remember I was uh, nine years old. And uh, I, uh, I, I remember I was, uh, I was in Sunday school class, and I knew everything. You know, I, 
I knew about how Noah divided the Red Sea and Moses built the ark. I had it all down, you know. I had it all lined up. I had, had it all figured out. And I remember I was sitting in, in uh, the Sunday school class and folding, in a folding chair, and I was leaning back and chewing gum. I, that's, that was my Sunday morning exercise, was chewing gum. And uh, I, I remember Tommy Fisher was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, he was a young man in the church that I just really respected. And he was teaching about sin and the Lord and all those things and, 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 the, and the Lord Jesus. And I tell you, I'm in, that, I'm in that room minding my own business. And it was like the Holy Spirit came in that room. And I felt such a great, here's the word, conviction of my sin. Man, I didn't say anything to anybody. But I remember going out, I remember the stairs that went from that little classroom up the stairs that went in the auditorium of that church back then. And I was kind of reeling. I was, here's what I was, a, a nine-year-old, what, what do you do with it? I was going, what is this? It was so pronounced. It was, it was real. Now, your testimony doesn't have to be mine, and mine doesn't have to be yours. I'm just telling you mine, okay? It was so pronounced that God was convicting me of my sin, and I was, I was a little scared. And man, I shook it off. I shook it off. Then I remember we had, uh, uh, we had uh, one of those, you remember, Ben will remember this. He's 90 years old. You got you to you you be in my age group at least to remember this. But we used to have revivals and we used to have a Sunday school service. Remember that? All the Sunday school classes would come into the auditorium after they took roll and everything. And they'd sit with their class. Everybody sat with their class. And then the evangelist would fire one up, man. And he'd preach a salvation sermon. Then we'd take a break and we'd all come back. And then we'd have the regular worship service again. Man, the evangelist got two shots at you in one morning. And we were in that Sunday school service, and uh, Mrs. Ramsey, she was my, uh, she was uh, my, my, the superintendent of my Sunday school department, the junior department. She was sitting right behind me. And uh, uh, she was famous for me because she had a big tree in her yard that was the goal line of our football field that covered about three front yards down through there. And, uh, man, I got under conviction again. And I... I experienced the conviction of my sin and a need for a Savior. And I remember I began to weep. And Mrs. Ramsey put her hand on my shoulder. She said, Dale, do you want to go down on the invitation? I'll go with you. And I said, uh-uh, no way. Man, I put the brakes on. I was putting the brakes on. I, no way. And she said, well, will you talk to your mother about this? And she knew my mom because my mom taught in that department. And... Uh, I said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Now, I came from a broken home, so it was just, I had two brothers, my mom, and we lived in a garage apartment in Sand Springs, and I remember that Sunday, I was sitting down at the bottom of the stairs. Uh, there are 15 stairs that went up to the door, screen door that went into that apartment, and my mother was up there washing dishes, singing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She liked to sing when she worked. That's carved on the back of her tombstone, by the way, today. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And uh, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I talked myself out of it. Well, Brother Dale, did you ever get saved? Yeah, I did. <laughs> we were having another one of those revivals, and then this time I was down on the third row, right down on the side. And, man, I saw people coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, 
and God broke my heart. And I was so disturbed, I, I could hardly communicate with the folks that were trying to counsel me when the Lord saved me as a 10-year-old boy. It was vivid. See, the initial experience that I had with God was through the conviction of sin through the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, I'm not trying to sow any kind of doubt or wonder in your mind about your experience, but I think almost all of you could give testimony about how God began to work in your life and how he broke your heart. And then the Holy Spirit, he's so good. The first thing God does when he convicts us of our sin is uh, uh, we know it's sin. Here's another thing. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, he also uh, convicts us that uh, we need a Savior. He also convicts us that judgment's coming. It's judgment. And, and, and then he shows us in our heart and soul who Jesus is. And then in his kindness, he says to us, in the language of the soul, not in English or words of man, but he says, come to Jesus and receive him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. And the initial experience that we have with that. You see what I did? Two times I quenched the Spirit and said no. But God was so gracious and kind to me, he came back and kept calling me and dealing with me in my life. How do you quench the Holy Spirit through his conviction? You resist him. You flee from him. You blame something else. You rationalize your situation, your sin, your need. You reflect it somewhere else. Or you accept it and say this, God is dealing with me. You know what? Every once in a while, even after we become Christians, we need to be able to come to a point where we're talking to the Lord and we say, Lord, you're dealing with me. Or we're driving down the road because of some situation, something we said to our wife or something we uh, dealt with someone improperly or something we were involved in and God's dealing with us and we need to be able, sometimes uh, we need to just say it out loud, God's dealing with me. God is dealing with me. Don't quench the Holy Spirit's convicting work in our life. Here's a second expression of how the Holy Spirit works in life. Here is number two. His inner call for us to seek to be like Jesus. Now you say, well, well, Dale, we can't be like Jesus. Well, I know that, but we're supposed to seek to be like Jesus. That, that, that sort of should be the theme of our life, to be like him. I want to be like him. He's my hero. I want to be like him. And the Holy Spirit calls us to this spiritual growth. You know, uh, it's why we study the Word. But we study the Word so it gets expressed out of our life. So it changes things about us. When's the last time God changed something about you? When's the last time you knew God was working on you and God changed something about you? Your attitude? Your mouth? A secret sin? How you deal with people? 
When's the last time God changed something about you in such a way that you started conducting yourself like Him? Well, that's great. The Holy Spirit will do that. But what we often do is, is that we quench that spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit's encouraging us and pressing us. And when we get focused on the world and uh, we get focused on ourselves and we won't hear him, then we quench his work in our lives. Uh, I think one of the things that we'll sit around in heaven talking about, uh, we'll talk about it, uh, I think we'll talk about it seriously, but we'll be able to reflect back on our life and say, boy, all the opportunities I missed for God to do something in my life. I'm so glad he saved me by his grace, but I missed opportunities. Here's number three, a third expression of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit brings power into our lives. Now, if you listen to the TV evangelist and you talk about power, you see guys slaying people in the spirit, people falling down and throwing rugs on them and all kinds of stuff, and stepping on each other and all kinds of stuff like that. God wants to give you power. You know what he give, wants to give you power to do? He wants you to give you power over sin. He wants you to give you power to glorify him. He wants to give you power to share Christ with others. He wants to give you power to be expressive in kindness. He wants to give you power to serve the Lord. He wants to, get, he wants to empower you. He wants to give you, he wants to empower you. He wants, if you've got the gift of teaching, he wants to empower you to be an outstanding teacher. If he's called you to be a servant, then he wants to empower you to serve others with joy, even if you're not appreciated. He wants, he wants to give you power in your life. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. It's a key expression. The Holy Spirit calls us to seek to be like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit gives us power to deal with the issues of life. Uh, you might say, well, I have a besetting sin. I have something I've dealt with. And see, here, here's what often happens with a besetting sin. We confess it, which is good, and we tell God we're going to do something about it. And we promise God what we're going to do about it. And then we can't do it because we're doing it in our own strength without any relationship with him. Now, sometimes when I make that list that I've told you about of my sin, I get that pad out and start writing it. One of the things that I often have to list there is self-sufficiency. I'll have situations and I just say, oh, I'll take care of that. I don't need the Lord with that. I don't, I don't say it like that to myself, but that's what I'm doing. I don't need the Lord with that. I'll take care of that. I'll do this. I, I need to take care of this. I don't need to lean on the Lord for that. I'll tell you what, I, when it comes down to it, I need the Lord for everything, and so do you, for everything. And so he will give power in our lives. Now here's a fourth expression of the Holy Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit illuminates our minds to the truth in God's Word. He's called, Jesus called him, the Spirit of Truth. The spirit of truth. Now, that's exciting. That's exciting. What that means is, if you, get, if you sit down to open up your Bible and start studying your Bible, the, the Holy Spirit wants to reveal things to you. I, let, let me, uh, 
you, you, it's all right to have tools. You need tools. You, you may need a commentary. You may need a concordance. You may, uh, but the Holy Spirit wants to reveal truth to you. Let, let me give you a, a good way to study the Bible. It's the simplest way I know how, is the what does that mean approach. How many times have you been reading the Bible and you say, well, what does that mean? But you don't even think about it. You just keep reading because you've got ground to cover, right? Well, stop. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What's God saying there? And stay there and figure out what God's saying because often God has something to say to your life, to your family, to the future, to the past. He has something to say to you out of the Scripture. And when you see something you don't understand it, go ahead and ask, well, what does that mean? And then go look for it. I'm going to give you a great website. You can go look. How many of you look up things on, on the Internet? You can you do research on the Internet. How many of you don't know what the Internet is? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> There, there is a website. It's called Got Questions? Question mark. Got Questions. Man, I tell you what, I, I run on stuff. I've been studying the Bible since I was 15 years old. Seriously, kind of began looking at it and trying to figure it out and go through it. It's one of the best tools I've seen. It's a great little tool. Got Questions. That's all you got to do is just put that in the search engine. Got Questions, and it'll pop up, and then you just put your question in that little deal, and the guy's going to give you some pretty good advice. Now, I don't agree with everything on there, but uh, I tell you what, the vast majority of it, and it's good. Got questions. It's great. So when you're studying the Bible and you open it up, when you open your Bible up, don't open it up like an encyclopedia. Open it up, and here's the heart of God who wants to speak to my heart. Here's the heart of God through an amazing structure, in some ways a strange structure, but God in his word wants to speak to me. So look for it. Look for it. Look for it. And the Holy Spirit wants to use the Word in your life. Uh, many people say, well, I don't understand the Bible, and uh, I, I find it boring, and I find it difficult. Listen, if you take a different approach to it and open it up and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me through your Word. And the Holy Spirit is there to illuminate the Bible. And we're to be like newborn babies that long for the pure milk of the Word. You've read that somewhere, haven't you? that we should desire the Word in our life. It's not boring. It's not confusing. But let me tell you a big problem you have. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, but you've also got this thing called the flesh. In the book of Galatians, it says, the flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And let me tell you what the, what the flesh thinks of the Bible. It's boring. When you hear that in your head... That's not the Holy Spirit talking. That's the flesh. I don't understand it. Someone, I, I need someone to spoon feed me in the high chair down at the church. I don't understand it. The flesh hates to kneel in prayer. The flesh hates for you to depend on God. And the flesh does not want you to hear God's voice in your life. And he doesn't. He doesn't care anything about you winning a victory over sin. How do we quench? How do we quench the Holy Spirit in this element where He illuminates our minds to the Word? We neglect the Word, we don't open our Bibles, and we don't open up our hearts to God. Here is a fifth. Let me give you a fifth feature of how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit brings joy into our lives. The Holy Spirit brings joy. Uh, some of you out there, I can't tell who you are. I get closer examination. Maybe I'll figure it out. Or where he works. 
you are hand ringers. Oh, nothing's ever going to go right. Some of you probably have a uh, spiritual gift, and you believe it's a spiritual gift. It's not. It's called the, the, uh, the, the, the gift of criticism. And, uh, and so you analyze everything for everybody, and, and you can fix everybody if they would just depend on you. And so uh, we, we've got these different situations going on in our lives, but you know what? None of that brings us joy. Uh, new, new shiny things make us happy for a little while, but they don't give us joy. Uh, a nice trip or something, there's nothing wrong with that, and that, that, but it can't really bring us joy. For the believer, when we know confidently, not because we're bragging, we don't need to say it out loud to anybody else, I'm right with God. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm in step with Him. He's using me. That's when you have joy. That's when the joy comes. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he wrote in repentance of that. He wrote the 51st Psalm. Listen to what he says in this Psalm in verse 10 and 11. Let me just read it to you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the, to me the joy of your salvation. The joy. The Holy Spirit brings joy. Uh, you get down, you get discouraged. What do you need? You need to make sure you're right with God, you're walking with God, because that's where the joy is. Uh, being right with God is so important. But if you quench that, with sin and rebellion or unforgiveness or bitter spirit or anger or lust or greed or envy or sloth, whatever it is, uh, you lose the joy. So, now those are five features. Uh, uh, Aaron could do a way better job on that. He could give you 15. <laughs> but uh, don't quench the Holy Spirit. So what should you do? What should you do with the Holy Spirit? Let, uh, let me tell you. I want you to imagine it's a cold night outside. You're at your house. It's a cold night outside. It's winter. Boy, last winter. Boy, that was a doozy, wasn't it? But, but the wind's blowing. It's snowing left to right. Okay? The snow's just pouring down. It's cold outside. And, and you're in your house. And uh, you've got a real fireplace. A real fireplace. I had a real fireplace in the house. I loved it. Now they put those ventless fireplaces in, and all it does is sting my eyes and make my nose burn, and I turn it off. Okay? You, you, you need to get those fumes out of there, in my opinion. But I had big old wood-burning fireplace, and you, and you get that thing going, and you get that fire raging, and that, those logs are going, and it's crackling and everything, and it's snowing and cold outside, and you're sitting there in your big old chair, you know, and you, you've got a cup of coffee. Most of you drink decaf at night. But you got, you got some decaf and, and you got a, or hot chocolate or something, you know. And uh, your hound dog's right down there on the floor on the rug beside you. And you're warm and you're feeling the warmth of that fire. And man, that's, that's glorious, isn't it? I'm warm. That's glorious. But pretty soon that fire stops crackling and it starts going down. So you, you got to go over there and you got to get the, the, the poker, the stoker. 
And you can shake those logs around a little bit, rearrange them a little bit, toss another one on, and the fire starts up again, doesn't it? It gets to crackling again. But if you leave it alone, if you leave it alone, it just starts dying off. If you don't feed it, it just starts dying off until it's just some little embers there. It might even just burn out. I think in a lot of 21st century American Christians, we stop feeding it and we stop stoking the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe we didn't do a whole lot to quench it. We just stopped stoking it. Realizing that the fire of the Holy Spirit should be in our life. How do you stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life? How do you do that? Number one, you've got to open up your life to the work of the Holy Spirit. See, here's what, have you ever heard this term before? Uh, the spirit of the age. You ever heard that? The spirit of the age. The attitude and the spirit of our time. You know, we were talking about this last night. You know what that is? That's secularism and humanism. Man is the, the, the big chief, not God. Um, uh, man's all there is. He's the He's the highest order of the creation. And the, the humanistic ideas and the secularism, that's the spirit of the age. And you know what? Most of the time we're going around, uh, it's through uh, the lyrics of the music and through the, the programs on the television and all the different things. And the spirit of the age is just pounding on us all the time. The spirit of the age has all these inroads into us. And we stop recognizing it. We stop thinking, that's not right. No, I don't, that's, that doesn't honor God. That's, that's not the way I want to go. But the spirit of the age is coming through. And what we discover is we've opened ourselves up to the spirit of the, or maybe our peers. Maybe our kids. I've never seen a generation, my generation especially, that's so impressed with what their children think. When I was a kid, we were supposed to think, we were supposed to be impressed with what our parents thought. It's kind of been switched around. I, I mean, it, we, we almost made idols out of our children. We're to love our children, but they sure aren't idols. And they need wisdom. Peers, the spirit of the age, the message of secular man. We find our life open to that. We need to open up our life consciously. We need to open up our life purposefully. We need to open up our lives formally. We need to open up our lives officially. We need to open up our lives in reality to the Holy Spirit. Not, not some uh, wacky thing, but to the Spirit of God that speaks into our life truth and calls us to be like Jesus, who convicts us of our sins, who opens up the word, our eyes to the Word of God, who brings joy into our life. Open up the life in a fresh new way to the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's one way to stoke the fire. Here's the second one. See yourself as a daily living sacrifice. That Romans 12 we were talking a little bit last night when it talks about, you know, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. You know, the problem with a living sacrifice is, is it keeps crawling off the altar. Okay? 
And so you need to put it back on there every day. I, I know one good way to do it is, is when you wake up in the morning and you, you slide over. And you know, I used to be able to just pop out and hit the floor running. Now, now it takes about, uh, I have to sit there for a while and, and the gyroscope has to get kind of, you know, going again. And then, the, and then the stiffness in the ankles needs to go out and the soreness in the bottom of the feet and the joints. And it takes about eight steps and I'm, now I'm off and running, okay? Uh, I, I need a new oil pump, I think. But um, a good thing is to just swing your legs over the side of the bed and say, Lord, I just want to present myself a living sacrifice to you today. That's not silly. That's not silly. That's a good thing to do. Lord, I want to be, I, want, I just want to be yours today. And do it every day. Do it every time you remember to do it. Here's a, a, a third thing. Respond to the commandment, it's a commandment, to continually seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to surrender all those areas of your life to Him. And number four, you stoke that fire by walking in the Spirit. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Uh, the, the commentators, they, they have a, a, a lot of different explanations of it, but when I see walking in the Spirit, you know what I see that as? Walking uh, means movement. And my life is walking. So I'm moving. And what am I moving through? I'm moving through time. I'm moving through experiences. I'm working, I'm moving through decades of age and time and opportunities and trials and difficulties. I'm walking through time. My journey is like your journey, and it's all based on a clock. Okay? It's all based on a clock. I, I tell the church sometimes, you know, uh, uh, life is like a, a, a basketball game. Uh, from, from birth to 20 is the first quarter. From 20 to 40 is the second quarter. It's halftime. From 40 to 60, it's the third quarter. From 60 to 80 it's, is the fourth quarter. And then if you don't foul out, you get to keep playing. You keep going. But we're moving through time. We're on a journey. And we're, we need to be walking with the Holy Spirit as we go through time. Now, uh, what I've talked to you tonight about is very spiritual because it's about the Holy Spirit. But it's very practical, too. At the same time, it's a way for you to look at who you are. It's a way to look at what your life is about. Who am I? I'm, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what, what is my life about? My life is about glorifying Him, being used of Him. To be His disciple. To, to belong to Him. To be used by Him. And it doesn't have to be my way. It just has to be his way. And if I'm going through a trial, I know how I want it to end, but God may not want it to end that way. And so I got to go with God on that. I have to believe that God is in control of everything that's happening and will ultimately happen in my life, though it may make me weep or give me joy, though it may discourage me or make me feel like a victor in this life. But in this life, we need to walk with him through time, no matter what the Holy Spirit. So here's a real important question 
on the end of this. And I promise, I, when I say it's the end of it, it's the end of it. Most of the time. <laughs> Most of the time. Has the Holy Spirit ever convicted you of your sin and judgment to come? Have you ever trembled at the thought of what's on the other side of the veil? As a result of that, has God showed you who Jesus is so, so powerfully that you're convinced into the core of your soul that he is the risen Savior and that without a doubt you can quote Romans 10 that if I will confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead, I'd be saved. Has God ever dealt with you in that way? Or are you just a Baptist? Are you just a church person? Or has God dealt in your life and saved you? Now, if God's dealt in your life and saved you, everything we've talked about tonight, you probably know, but you needed to be reminded of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we all struggle, we all fall short, we all need you. We're up, we're down, we're back, we're forth. But let us always turn our face towards you through the presence of your Holy Spirit in our life and his power and his purpose and his glory. We love you. We want to grow. Father, I pray that we could walk out of here tonight with a, a, maybe a new focus. I want to be like Jesus more and more. I want you to change things in my life. Father, remind us that some of us have been a long time since we've got alone with you and confessed our sins. Remind us, Father, that that's a real need in our lives. Remind us, Father, that we need to walk with you, that you convict us even as your children. Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit become more real to all of us tonight. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, let's just stand together. God may be dealing in your life. And maybe there's just some, some, somebody here tonight that it's dawned on you that you need a Savior. And you've come to realize that maybe God's dealing with your life by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, convicting you of your sin and calling you. Come to Jesus. I encourage you. Don't quench him. Don't quench him. Come to him. Folks, your pastor's going to be here. He's going to lead the invitation. That's right. If you need to come, come right on. We'll wait for you. Folks, I invite you without the fear of judgment, without the fear of shame, without somebody looking at you and thinking what's wrong in their life, to forget about all this. And if you need anything of the Lord tonight, if he's demanding something of you, if there is conviction that you know is from the Spirit, that you would respond. You heard a powerful message straight from the Word of God. Now let the Word of God work through the Spirit of God to move you to action. Is joy lacking? Is peace? Is victory? Guys, if there's anything hidden in there, ask the Lord to reveal it to you tonight. I'm going to go to the altar myself, and I'm just going to pray because I have needs to and confession to make. And you don't have to come and kneel down up here. You can. But wherever you're at, please, spend these moments with the Lord, confessing, 
thanking, asking of him. Whatever it is you need, make the most of this moment.